Welcome everyone to Goddard in the World podcast. I am your host, Amanda Faye Laxon, and I am here with Sam Reveline, my co-host. Hey, Sam. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting all ready for Christmas in the Christmas spirit, holiday spirit? Yeah, I'm super in the holiday spirit. Um mm-hmm. I last year my mom and I put on on a whim some like older um like Hallmark Christmas movies Fun. and it just scratched such an itch I don't know why and so <laughs> this year we've been watching so many like dumb Netflix Christmas movies okay. like last night we just watched A Castle for Christmas oh. um, which I sort of recommend and then we okay. also we did a double feature we also okay. watched Holiday with Emma Roberts, oh, <laughs> which nice. I thought was a really fun time. Maybe it was because Castle for Christmas was so dumb that going into anything that was like <laughs> even slightly better, I was like, this is genius. You know? That's amazing. Um, I so, love that. What is Castle for Christmas? Uh, Carrie Elwes, who was oh, the yeah. princess uh, bride guy. Um mm-hmm. Or, you know, Wesley. Dr. Gordon from Saw. Yeah, Wesley. <laughs> Come on. Come on, um, <laughs> he uh, owns a castle. Uh, he's a duke in Scotland. And Excellent. Brooke Shields is a famous novelist. Uh, but mm-hmm. her last book didn't do so well. So uh, she has to run away from it all. And I ends up. I love this. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> There is an entire scene, like, introducing a couple of new characters who are never mentioned again. I, like, (laughs) waited the entire movie for them to show back up. Well, Um, maybe it's the start of a franchise and those characters will get introduced later. That's what I'm hoping. (laughs) The Castle for Christmas Cinematic Universe, the CCC, the Triple CU. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Holiday was fun. Oh, yes. Quick plug for the Netflix Christmas Cinematic Universe, which does include like Princess Switch and uh, the Christmas Prince, right? Yes. Um, Have you seen those? I have not. (laughs) But one of my best friends is an aficionado in the Christmas movies, like starts watching them in October and uh, recommends them all. But I think I, so I watch Ghosts on CBS. Like it, it like it came from oh. like the British, like uh, Ghosts. It's comedy, um, but the lead actress, she's awesome. Um, I think she's Australian, but I think mm. she might be the princess in, or girl in one of these Christmas switch. Oh well, we gotta look this I don't up. Know. Quick I don't Google. Know. Yeah, it's the, she's in the American version of Ghost. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. Yes. Oh, Rose McIver. She is in yeah. the Christmas Prince. Okay. Um, yes. And that's that is like a, a series, right? Oh yeah. There's three of them. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I think the like made up country that yeah. it takes place in is referenced in Princess Switch or vice versa. So um, I think you're there's clear. always. Yeah, there's always a chance for a crossover. Um, Let's just cross our fingers. <laughs> truly. They're like <laughs> shitty Christmas movies and shitty horror movies are the only types of movies I will go into 
No questions asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, the more it looks like uh, ridiculous white people making up their own problems, the more Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is very much holiday. It is like, that movie is such a non-issue. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, but what is, uh, the, it, is the main conflict in Holiday? Right. So Emma Roberts is the only single person left in her family, and yeah. um, meanwhile, um, this other guy—I don't know what else he's been in—but a tall Australian fellow. He uh, he's like, oh, women are crazy, and I don't even know why I'm on these dating apps anymore. And sure. I'm like. Well, a little bit sexist, but uh, don't always disagree. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, people are nuts. <laughs> um, and uh, so they find each other. And then that's the main conflict is that like they're they get along really well and they have really good mm-hmm. chemistry. But um, she's just a dick enough that he's like see i told you like women are mean and i don't want to open my heart and she's like been burned by men before so she feels the same way so it's really just like poor communication um, (laughs) especially on emma's part Mm. anyway despite like some weird undertones to the movie it's it's i had a pretty good time um then the last one i'll plug is um Mm -hmm. adult swim uh, yeah. On HBO Max, just released a Yule log. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that it's, just released a Yule log. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> this, this is something. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's that's all I'll say about it. It's if you search HBO okay. Max Adult Swim Yule log, mm-hmm. um, it's one of the best movies I've seen this whole year. It's just a Yule log. Um, wow. Okay. I don't want to say any more well, about I'm it. I'm super intrigued. <laughs> I'm going to turn on my HBO Max. Like, they are not a sponsor. Oh, yeah. We don't have sponsors. But no, like, they could if they, if they, if they wanted to. We welcome would the sponsorship. Certainly, um, yeah. I watch a lot of stuff on HBO Max. But like, oh, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I think we already plugged Netflix quite a bit. So. <laughs> yeah, I think we've plugged them all at this point because we yeah, talk about probably. recommendations, you know. Yeah, we were talking about before we started recording, I did watch um, the sequel to Christmas Story, but I had to rewatch the original because I had only seen that once. And so um, Curtis made us watch both, which is fair. Um, Good. Yeah. um, And I love the original. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, this is a great kid. Like it's a great... (laughs) How do I explain? It's very well written and like all of the problems feel like kid problems, like appropriate for yeah. the age, you know, like, and yeah. so the tone is like, feels really nice and like fun and kid e, you know, like it's not <laughs> too reflective, even though it is a looking back, like it's, it's like feels in the moment of like kid problems. Um, yeah. And then the the sequel I enjoyed. Like I I I thought it was I I was entertained. I was confused um, with the wife and the original. You know what was his name? What's that? What's that character? Oh, Ralphie. 
Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the actor. I was like, why is he married to this much younger woman? And she's not. She's like, <laughs> like the same age. I was like, oh, well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that movie is a great example of what I mean. Because it's like so low stakes. And Ralphie goes like out of his way to like everything yeah. is so fine for them. Yeah. That yeah. they have to go out of their way to create problems for the holiday, right. Right? right? He's like, "Oh no, now I have to go do this thing." And I'm like, "Yeah, it'd probably be like, fine if you didn't." Like, yeah, it's it's okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. And I mean, I think Christmas. I feel like Christmas movies in general should have kind of lower stakes. <laughs> like, yeah. if the stakes are too high, then it's a little weird <laughs> well the stakes in adult swims you log are very high that's oh, uh, okay. not a joke okay. 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 <laughs> um, it yeah that's a really fun time um, i gotta i gotta check it out um the, the podcast i'm listening to well that i that i'm always listening to is how did this get made and oh yeah they, they do this um matinee monday now uh which is like they released like from their back catalog like an episode that is kind of related to i don't know if it's their next episode or their last episode i always forget but like mm-hmm. the matinee monday was from I, th- I don't i don't know if it was like two years ago or last year but it was um the spirit of christmas um the movie was oh. the spirit of christmas which yeah I what it, who's that in was, that one i like remember that title nobody like no. I, mean, I, I don't know <laughs> okay. because it was like um apparently it was a lifetime movie that got bought by hallmark um and mm. so that's the tone <laughs> like, nice um, and this hotshot lawyer or like whatever she has to go to some small town because there's something with some bed and breakfast that is see you already had me at a hotshot lawyer yeah done i'm in yeah i'm (laughs) in the bnb is haunted kind of Mm. by this guy um but i think only for christmas like i it's a little confusing Mm. (laughs) but Right. I actually watched that movie with my with my Christmas friend like and and our <laughs> friends and um it is it is appalling how like the you know you have no questions I have lots of questions when I watch Christmas Oh when I I have no like I don't need questions to like get into it but by the time we're like halfway through, I'm like, wait, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> wait, why? Why does this matter? How did this happen? You know, just yeah. like a lot of plot holes. Um, so yeah. yeah, but it's entertaining, like Spirit of Christmas. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. And she falls in love, you know, with the ghost. Oh, spoilers! Oh. Yeah. Sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so. That also reminds me the Lindsay Lohan Christmas movie that just came out. I would also recommend. Did you see okay. that? I heard it was good. What? But no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I thought it was fun. I mean, nice. I can't see myself rating any of these higher than like three stars max, you know? So when I say oh, like, I would no. recommend them. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Because it's like, I just need. something you know like i mean it's fine that there's like 
entertainment that is not life changing, I think, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Netflix puts out so much stuff, like, and I think a lot of that, their stuff is kind of in that, um, but then there's stuff I, like, really love. Um, oh, I'll, oh, one Christmas thing that we watched last night was Who Killed Santa, which is oh. this Murderville mystery, so that is also on Netflix. Um, Wait, the Murderville thing is out already? Yeah, it, Thursday, yesterday, so yeah. Yeah, who oh my god mystery it is very entertaining my husband oh. who is very funny but does not laugh out loud at a lot of stuff laughs out loud at murderville um and this, nice that's um one hour or the 52 minutes um so nice. i highly recommend that for pure fun um yeah he's got a train yeah. now so that when rafa like comes of age uh curtis can be like yeah, I liked it, which is like essential dad. Like, right, right. <laughs> you know, <"Yeah>, funny. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very entertaining. Murderville is a show uh, that I guess is a British transfer, but um, or based on British. But um, it is Will Arnett as a police detective. And there's always a Terry Seattle. Terry Seattle, yes, <laughs> is his name. And there's always a murder that has to get solved. And he has special guests come in as trainees, like detectives. And those special guests are usually like comedians or improv, like improvisers, actors. But they don't know what's going on. They they haven't been given a script. Yeah, so it's all improvised. It, so it's improvised from their point of view. Like, yeah, which it, which makes it entertain like very entertaining. Um, yeah. and so yeah, so who killed Santa? A Murderville mystery is up now. Oh my gosh! And so I, I didn't know that it was out already. I've been looking forward to it. I know, me too. And I had it on my list, and then I was like, oh, it's Thursday. <laughs> so so yeah, it nice. just came out. Like last night. Awesome. So watch those Christmas movies. Um, okay, so we've been talking about Christmas. <laughs> let's shift. <laughs> but let's jump back now. We recorded this episode in September. So yes. in your mind, it's September now. Yeah. It's um, the beginning of the school year, not the end of yeah. the, your semester. <laughs> yeah. You look really the- great. The, you've got those yeah. new shoes on. You're ready to yeah. go. 11th your new grade. Backpack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you come home from school, your parents are still at work. um, Mm -hmm. But it's great because you have the latest episode of your most favorite podcast. It it just Mm -hmm. dropped. And um, it's uh, your two favorite hosts. this i don't think we know who our audience is (laughs) (laughs) yeah um alternate reality versions of us audience is like middle schoolers middle schoolers who actively listen to podcasts (laughs) from like low residency (laughs) schools um amazing but uh this this is a fun um episode i um was just listening to some of it again this morning and um I think that everything uh, 
I don't know. It's just a really interesting conversation. Like, what did you think of our conversation with Stephen? So, yeah. So, Stephen, I didn't know. Uh, Stephen Mills. Stephen S. Mills, I think, is his writer name. Um, yes. But Stephen S. Mills, I didn't know before we started, um, but he is faculty at Goddard MFA. Um, and he's our first faculty member to be interviewed on the podcast, which was like exciting. So Sam asked, like, because I because we hadn't um, interviewed faculty before. Sam asked me, like, oh, do you think you would be interested in in opening up? Because I think he would be interested in coming on. And so I looked up his bio and I was like, well, I want to talk to him. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, awesome. And, and like whether or not, like, you know, and so I like kind of changed the description of Goddard in the World podcast um, to accommodate, <laughs> like, Stephen's role. I mean, if you don't know already, like, we are expanding to, like, the Goddard academic community. So it includes faculty, current or former, I think, um, alumni, and current students. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, for future seasons, I hope we get, like, a nice mix of of everybody um, because we have all played a huge role in defining how the Goddard academic experience is, has, has been shaped um, or has shaped us. And so, so talking to Steven, it was really interesting to like hear about his background in writing and academia and (laughs) The for-profit school thing that he talks about, I completely mm-hmm. forgot about until I was re-listening. Yeah. And I was like, wow, he's just been through a lot of different, like, spaces. And then to come to Goddard is, like, also a completely different, like, academic space. And so yeah. I, it was it was awesome to, like, hear from his perspective. Yeah, as someone who is also very interested in teaching, um, I mean, I always love and find comfort in teachers who have, like, started teaching high school very early and then just taught for 40 years, right? Um, Doing the same thing. Like, that's always really fun. But I also Mm -hmm. find it fascinating to hear from people who have done all kinds of different things because I've taught a number of different ages and different venues. And so to hear other experiences of people who sort of bounced around between different gigs um, is, is always really interesting. Just to hear, like, their educational experiences in general. And not mm-hmm. just like <laughs> I've been teaching this course for forty years, which I think is also yeah. like really nice. And there's a part of me that wishes I had done that and like <laughs> was well on my way to like a nice teacher retirement. Because <laughs> if you get that retirement package in New York, it's it's a pretty good one. Oh, really? Um, aspiring teachers, the incentive to educate the youth. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephen Stephen was a great guest and I'm really excited to share this um September issue with everybody. Yeah. And I'm I'm I I'm excited to read his writing more. Like um mm. we're going to plug his his books and take mm-hmm. check the show notes and um the we talk about an essay that that he wrote that I found online so like check that out and uh yeah, so enjoy our conversation with Stephen Mills and have a happy holiday. Yeah, and stay in school. Stay in school, kids. (laughs) (laughs) 
Stephen S. Mills is the author of the Lambda Award-winning book, He Do the Gay Man in Different Voices, as well as A History of the Unmarried and Not Everything Thrown Starts a Revolution, all from Sibling Rivalry Press. His work has appeared in the American Poetry Review, Columbia Poetry Review, the Antioch Review, Pank, the New York Quarterly, the Los Angeles Review, the Rumpus, and others. He is also the winner of the 2008... Um, Oh, shoot. I should have asked you how to pronounce that. Uh, Gival? Gival? Honestly, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, there's a lot of things that you always just see in print um, and that I I haven't heard. So I'm not exactly. You you are free to skip it as well if you want. Well, I'll just leave this all in, though. There you go. They, uh, whoever knows that we know that we don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, the Press Oscar Wilde Poetry Award and the 2014 Christopher Hewitt Award for Fiction. Two of his books were placed on the Over the Rainbow list compiled yearly by the American Library Association. An excerpt from his play Men Like Us was featured as part of Pride Plays in June of 2020. He is on the faculty of the Low Residency MFA program at Goddard College, and he lives in New York City with his partner and two schnauzers. Welcome, Stephen. (laughs) <laughs> thank you for having me. Welcome. Oh, thank you for coming. This is so exciting. You are the uh, first guest on this podcast who um, is not an alum, but a member of the Goddard academic community, someone who is currently on the faculty, which is really exciting to sort of shake up that format a bit. So um, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. This will be fun. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We did a bit of poking around on your website, which I also have to say, I don't have a question attached to this, but I just want to say <laughs> your website is uh, gorgeous. And I love that you have so many pictures because I feel sort of like self-conscious putting pictures on my own website. So like, if I do too many, am I like, look at me, you know, but I love that you have <laughs> so many pictures because you always look so joyful and you're doing so many things. So Anyone well, gets a chance you. to check out <laughs> Stephen's website, you do it. Um, you you guys your- should see Stephen's Zoom background right now. It's gorgeous. <laughs> the <laughs> aesthetics are very like clear. That um, yeah. yeah. Um, but in your bio on that website, you say that you grew up in Richmond, Indiana, and discovered a love for reading and writing at an early age, which is great. What is an early memory uh, where the written word revealed something to you or where um, stories or words in general meant something to you? It's a good, that's a good question. I, yeah, I mean, I really, yeah, from a very, very young age, always really had a desire to, to, to read, but also, also really to write um, even from, from kind of, before I actually even could write fully, I actually would fill these like old like bank calendars of, that you could get that my parents would get and like give me. I, I don't know why really, but I um, mean I would write sort of symbols in them um, mm. and then sort of read these stories to my mother. Um, and these were things that weren't even actual actually written down um, in words. So. I think that act was always something that I was I was very aware of, and I'm not I'm not even sure where it it directly came from. It was sort of just 
a drive to sort of tell stories in that way. But Mm. my mother always liked to read a lot as well. So I kind of had that connection, I think, from, from an early age going to like the library all the time and, you know, getting books and things like that. Um, But when I think about sort of a text or a piece, I would say I was really big into uh, Gary Polson, who wrote, he's probably most known for that, the hatchet or hatchet, maybe Mm -hmm. it's just called hatchet. Um, He's most known probably for that book, uh, but he wrote tons and tons of books. And I, I read all of them as, as a kid. And yeah, I, I was just kind of, and he wrote a lot about kind of young boys. Uh, most of his, you know, most of his books were sort of focused on that. But he also wrote a book about like doing the Iditarod, the sledding uh, thing, and I think that was really more of a nonfiction work, if I believe, if I remember it correctly. Um, and I, I just remember really being connected to to those stories and being really interested. Um, and that was kind of like one of those first like authors that I was really like wanting to read all of their, all of their work. Um, and, and mm. kind of was really drawn, drawn to that and sort of getting all of those books and texts there. So, yeah, so I think that that was probably one of, one of the early authors that I really connected with as a kid. Yeah. Nice. And when you started writing, were they sort of like Gary Paulson fan fiction stories? Because I wrote a lot of like Jurassic Park fan fiction as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I did love Jurassic Park as a, as a kid as well. Um, no, actually, you know, I, I started writing. I started writing fiction at a pretty young age, like I, one of my first stories was like, a, but it was about like an alien. I, I don't even know why, because I really, I really wasn't super <laughs> into like aliens or, or space really as a kid. But, um, but yeah, one of the earliest stories that I, that I wrote that I remember, um, yeah, was like about some sort of alien that visited this kid. Um, I guess sort of like an ET. Maybe it was. I guess it was sort of like a, a, a fan <laughs> awesome. fiction of, of ET. So it was very different, actually, from from Gary Paulson that wrote more kind of realistic um, stories. Yeah, that was kind of yeah. So that was kind of where where I started. But then I then I started writing really long. Like in middle school, I started. We got like our first computer, and so I just started like writing these math uh, things that I don't even know how I, how I wrote them. Cause they were like single space, like a hundred pages or something. Because now I'm like that, that sounds really hard. <laughs> so, so I think, um, but maybe it's like when you're, you're so unaware, you know, like you're so unaware now there's like so much, you know, the, once you're in the world of writing, there's all these pressures that come. Right. Um, so, you know, when you're, when you're young and naive and, and are just doing it to do it, mm-hmm. there's sort of a, you're able to, to kind of do it in a freer, a freer way. Mm. Yeah, I love sure. the like the, the alien uh, type of story as a kid. Um, 
especially growing up, like in, for you growing up in the Midwest, because it feels like there's like all of these alien stories seem to take place in like suburbs or like the Midwest, like rural, you know, like yeah. I don't know. And I don't know what that is. Like if there's just some sort of mystery, like that, I, <laughs> that you're like drawn to. Um, and I also love the, the image of you writing symbols in like the bank books which <laughs> bank or bank <laughs> calendars you know like because it feel and like telling the story because it feels kind of like prehistoric in a way <laughs> where it's like <laughs> cave paintings you know this like some, yeah like these are my symbols this is my language um yeah like that's i i think that's like really interesting like how how did growing up in indiana kind of feed into feed into your work and your love of writing, reading, storytelling? It's I actually, I just, I actually just talked a bit about this at our last residency. Mm. Um, and because we were, I, I was thinking about actually where I grew up actually was sort of a hindrance to me in my mind at, at a mm. younger age when I really decided I wanted to be a writer because I had sort of this very, like a lot of people, you can have this very cliched idea of what a writer is or sure. all of these things. So, so thinking of, of kind of growing up in this uh, smallish city in the Midwest, I sort of felt like, well, this is not like where a writer comes from, you know, like right. this idea that you have to be from certain places or need to be in, in certain kinds of communities. Um, you know, I didn't really know other people that were really super into writing. Um, you know, I, I, people like to read and things like that. And like I said, my mother was a big reader, but, but I, I didn't come from a big like literary family or a, a huge like artistic family in that, in that sense and these things. So, so kind of doing this and, and wanting to do that was something that was sort of outside of, of what a lot of people around me were, were doing. So for a long time, I sort of felt like this idea of wanting to, you know, escape from, from that space mm -hmm. um which you know a lot of people have that and, and obviously i did i haven't lived in indiana for many years mm -hmm. but um and you know and i think that was also you know connected to my queerness and and other elements of course as well but i think once i left left indiana i also started really seeing the landscape or the idea of the midwest sort of appearing in my work more mm. often. I think when I lived there, I sort of felt like, oh, I need to write outside of this. Mm -hmm. And then I think once I left, sort of had sort of more of a reckoning of of how that folds into my life and my existence. And and so yeah, a lot of that sort of I think the landscape also works in a lot of metaphoric ways. You know, I mean I, you know, kind of growing up in a very a kind of landlocked space and you know all of these things and like and like you mentioned about you know a lot of these kind of alien stories or i always said you know i i'm interested in a lot of horror and i'm working on a horror project right now and 
you know, so many horror movies are also always set in and mm-hmm. small, small towns. Oftentimes mm-hmm. there's a lot of Midwest um, mm-hmm. stories that are set, set there um, because there is something that's sort of haunting about kind of open space <laughs> and, yeah. and not overly yeah. popular. Like I always say, you know, I always, I always find it more frightening to be in, um, in some of those spaces than like I've lived in New York city for the last 10 years. And mm-hmm. like the idea of being, I was surrounded by people. I always find sort of safer in most, <laughs> in most situations <laughs> than, than being in, uh, like just a space where I'm like completely by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think so I think that the the my relationship to that space has has altered kind of over over time and as I've kind of grown and reflected on that on that experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I I 100% relate to like the um feeling more comfortable with like people around like you know, I also live in New York City um and have been here for like 20 years and I I get like un unnerved I guess like when I'm in <laughs> it's so weird because it's like in like the plains or whatever it's like you can see like just all this sky and like it's yeah. flat you can see <laughs> mm-hmm. things like it's like you can see more but like it 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 makes me I don't know maybe it's like it makes me feel like too small or something mm-hmm. like and so <laughs> that's kind of you know where all of those creepy crawly things. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. I'm from Minnesota originally. And when we Hmm. moved to um, upstate New York, where we've lived for like 20 years, um, my mom said she felt very claustrophobic because she couldn't see the weather coming. So she was like, I don't know Mm. what the sky is doing, you know. But then I spent uh, most of the last year in Texas and I had that same feeling where I was just like, the roads are too wide. I don't know. I feel like a mouse in an open field. Like I have nowhere to hide. I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, I like my depth perception was off because I like yeah. couldn't see how far away. It was mostly like driving that I had these experiences. Mm-hmm. I was like, I see that there is a, a, a light up ahead but I can't see how far away it is. So I don't yeah. know if I should slow mm. down because it's like still green, mm. but I don't know, <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. like yeah. those experiences sort of had the opposite effect on me, like coming back, you know, my mom mm. felt sort of caged in by the trees, but I was like, I want the comfort of like the, the stuff around <laughs> me. You know? Right. Um, but uh, so when did you leave Indiana and how did that happen? Like, what sort of prompted you to leave or what brought you out of the state? Sure. I, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up and lived in the same town my, until I was 18. And then I went to, I went to Hanover college, which is a small liberal arts college. It's the, actually the oldest private college in Indiana. Um, hmm. It's a very small school and it's in Southern Indiana. So I went there for undergrad and you right after undergrad, I mean, I, I applied to MFA programs right away. And so, yeah, so really what led me out of, out of Indiana was, was my MFA program. Mm-hmm. And I was accepted to, to uh, Florida state university. And so I, I, I moved directly after I finished college and moved 
to Tallahassee, Florida, mm-hmm. which is a whole different, a whole different place. And not really the, <laughs> yeah. the idea of Florida that one might have. Um, yeah. it's very, yeah, what Southern. was that like? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's very, you know, I, I, we went to my family, we would go to Florida a lot for vacation as you know, many Americans do. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, and we, so, you know, my idea of Florida was definitely not Tallahassee, Florida. So yeah, yeah. Tallahassee is very, yeah, very much more of a Southern, you know, it, it is, it, it has, um, you know, it, it has kind of a beautiful aspects to it, sort of the, the moss hanging trees yeah. and all that, you know, you know, kind oh. of all of those things. Um, and yeah, so it's a very different, very different environment. Yeah, kind of completely, completely big shift. But I always tell you know, I always say I think it was it was such a good. I think moving when you're when you're young, having that sort of big break, like such a big move like that, mm. um, I think really made me feel confident to do that in my life, uh, you know, knowing that you, you did that at, at a younger age <laughs> and then, it, you know, it kind of encourages you to, to, Oh, I did that and it, it worked out and I survived. And so that, you know, I think helped, helped me do other moves <laughs> in, my, sure. in my life as well. Yeah. I, um, I have connections to Tallahassee. I graduated my undergrad from FSU in. Oh, great. 2003 <laughs> like, um, but I also did like a bunch of study abroads like through FSU's like study abroad program um, and my family my sister uh, my older sister and her husband um, also graduated from FSU and and they still live in Tallahassee so I'm there oh, like wow. a lot <laughs> I'm going there next week <laughs> this week oh wow at, at, the, <laughs> at the end of this week um, but um uh, FSU is like a huge school, of course, and yeah. um, my two eldest co- uh, cousins, niece, niece and nephew, <laughs> like, um, they're at FSU um, for theater and vo- vocal performance. Um, okay, but um, I know so like their arts program is like quite good and prestigious, <clears throat> and yeah. So you did your MFA in poetry is that correct uh, yes I, yeah. Y- yeah their program you do sort of like a lot of like yeah a, a difference <laughs> um to uh, what goddard offers but yeah you kind of have to cut you kind of come in I, I was accepted as as a poet yeah okay yeah mm-hmm. and um how were your how are your mentors there how was studying at at fsu at, during the mfa it was it was a different, it was a very different experience for me because I had come from such a small college mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my undergrad Hanover is a very kind of, kind of a school, a lot of a school that kind of doesn't barely exist anymore, but just, it was, it was extremely rigorous. It had, it, you know, all the faculty, were right there kind of most of them lived on campus um (laughs) it you know you had classes very small classes and it was you know just a really really good education in in a lot of ways and 
like we still, I mean, it's we're at the time when I graduated, we were one of, I think still only like maybe six or seven schools that still do comprehensive exams, oral exams. Um, Mm. So (laughs) at the end of your uh, your program, you have to do basically sit down with two faculty who can ask you any questions about any class you took in your major. Um, and you have like this whole conversation. So I had that sort of whole experience and then going into my MFA, it was just, it was a, it was a different experience. Um, Obviously, yes, FSU is a huge school. You know, the MFA program, uh, they also have a PhD in creative writing. So we're, oh, okay. they were kind of mixed mm-hmm. with the PhD um, and MFA students. But they only mm-hmm. take, they only took five poets. The year I was accepted, they only took five poets and five fiction oh, writers. Cool. So wow. it was still very small. So within the big schools, it was still a very small yeah, I'm still a very small group, but yeah, so it was just a different environment. I think the the relationship with the um, faculty was just very different than I had. I had had a very close relationship in my undergrad program. And so, yeah, so I think I, I didn't really have a lot of big issues with the, with the program. I think, I think I've, I've kind of, it's been after I've left and reflected more on the experience (laughs) that I've had maybe more, uh, complications. I was one of very few queer people, um, Mm. in the program. Mm. Um, I had a lot of workshops where things sort of conversations around my work sort of shifted to things that weren't really about my work but were more about you know Mm. oh you know are you doing things just to shock people or you know or just don't really Mm. understand what you're doing Mm. um in Mm. that way so it was it was a different experience i did have i you know i built some really good relationships uh the group i came in with we were all really close there and i had some and i had some you know great uh faculty um, David Kirby, who's taught there for a very long time, he's a really, mm-hmm. uh, a really kind and great poet, and um, and yeah, he he was really wonderful. And the it's a three year program, so you also take oh. as many lit courses as like the MA students in literature. Okay. So, so yeah, so I uh, you also kind of take a lot of a lot of those things. I also it was also my introduction to teaching, which was really mm. great. And there, mm. there I was a TA there. Although I a teaching assistant in English departments is really not like a correct term because I just had to you teach two classes yeah. by myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wasn't assisting anyone. I was right. fully teaching, teaching two courses every semester. They just don't have uh, to pay you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Doing the um, but but that program the what's great at that about that program, at least at the time, was that they actually you took a I started the summer before fall because you take like a six week course in actually like pedagogy and like teaching and um, they Mm. have a really great uh, first year writing program. Like their composition program at Florida state is really strong. And so they actually gave you a lot of grounding in Mm. teaching um, mm. which a lot of programs don't. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. and a lot of schools, even once you are teaching don't, I mean, I've, I've 
worked at a lot of schools as adjuncts that just basically, here's a book, here's the book. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> just d- do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so they actually gave me a lot of of good grounding in in what te- you know what teaching is and a lot of great experience they also allow you uh, they also allow you to design your own um, special topic of oh, cool. freshman composition course um, mm. so I actually got wow. to teach a class that was uh, focused on poetry um, and things like that so the program there it was it was a lot of work obviously teaching two classes um, it was, yeah, it was a good experience in that way and really gave me some really good experience and knowledge about teaching and kind of gave me an opportunity to see if that was something I actually wanted to to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so that aspect of the program was, was really, was really nice in that way. Nice. And clearly it was something that you wanted to do. I mean, uh, did you, yeah. 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 <laughs> did you say I, more about it, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I went into my MFA, I didn't go into it with a with a direct like, oh, I want to teach aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, I did go into it mostly because I wanted to have time to write. I, I had my undergrad program. They my undergrad didn't have a creative writing program um, or a degree, um, so they had some creative writing classes you could take. Um, so I did did those, but I hadn't really had the opportunity to just focus on writing. So that was really why I wanted to go into an MFA program. And I thought I might want to teach, but I wasn't certain that I that I did. I, you know, it was really more mm-hmm. for the writing. Um, but yeah, really through those three years of teaching um, the you know freshman classes there. I, yeah, I really, I really found that I enjoyed it. I really liked the aspects of, of, of doing that. And especially when you're doing the, I mean, tons of people hate teaching freshman composition. I actually like teaching freshman composition because you have such a mixture of students, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. have, it's not English majors. It's everyone has to take these classes. Mm -hmm. And it was very intimidating at first because I was like, what I was, I was like 22. I mean, mm. I was right out of oh I was like gosh. 22 and like, they're like 18. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, like barriers <laughs> very thin. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was, you know, it was, it was, it was challenge, you know, it was challenging um, to learn how to, you know, manage, you know, yeah. Manage a, a class and um, yeah. And, and freshmen and all of those things. But, um, but yeah, it really, so it really made me want, want to teach. Um, so by the end, that was something that I was like, yeah, this would be a good, a good fit for me. Um, and something I would, I would like to pursue, Mm -hmm. you know, past, past my, my MFA. And so what, happened after your MFA? Did you begin teaching right away or did you have, um, what, what did happen? <laughs> Actually, what, you know, what happened to you? What happened, to you? <laughs> um, what happened was I was unemployed for six months, but, um, oh, yeah, that's so, not very long. <laughs> I mean, it seems par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I, well, I graduated with my MFA in 2008. Um, so that was like, right as you know we were in moving into this recession and yeah. mm. all these things and 
I, by the end of three years, I was really, uh, my partner and I were really kind of done with Tallahassee. Mm. And so we made a very, perhaps not smart decision and just quickly moved to Orlando, Florida. Okay. We were like, we don't know what we want to do, but we want to be out of Tallahassee. This is not very far. Like we can get here financially. We can get yeah. here. Not not going to be terrible. It's all um, sound reasoning, I'd say. It all, it all <laughs> sound. Reasoning of your mid twenties, and <laughs> so I, I we got there, and Orlando's not a great place to try to get a job unless you want to work mm. in hospitality, yeah, kind of industry. I have never, I had never worked in that industry. Um, so basically I was, you know, unqualified. I, I, was, I was unqualified for most jobs <laughs> and then overeducated for, you know, like, so people wouldn't, people didn't want to also were like, mm-hmm. well, oh, you have a master's degree. Why would you want this job kind of right. situation? So, yeah. So it took took a long time um, to figure that out. And which then led me to getting uh, the job I did get was a, a terrible job that was teaching at a for-profit school. Um, and because uh, Florida is just full of they're for-profit full of schools. I mean, they're just everywhere. Wow, I didn't know that. And strip malls all yeah. over. Yeah, one of my one of the alumni council members who will listen to this because he uh, listens to the podcast. <laughs> so I'll shout him out, Justin, uh, Justin Kagan. He he has also he lives in Orlando and has had to like work at a for profit school and like just hates it. But you know, whatever, money <laughs> he yeah. pays the bills, so. Yeah, it's yeah. it's crazy how many. I don't know what the laws are to like open, but Florida's like wild west. Oh. You know, they're like, sure, take them. Yeah. Like Arizona, it's like Florida. You know? <laughs> it's like Florida and Arizona. I think mm-hmm. have the most of for profit schools. Yeah. So there, there's something. There's something that that uh, draws draws that there, but. But yes, they did. They did. Get, I, it was a, a full time salaried job. Mm. Um, but I was forced to sort of like sit in a cubicle for eight hours a day. And I was teaching mostly online, mm. Um, mm. which all seemed very bizarre to me as to why I was sitting in a cubicle in a strip mall because it also wasn't like synchronized. I mean, we weren't teaching like we, it was just a platform where people submitted work. Mm-hmm. It, it was all just very, it, none of it made sense. Uh, yeah. Nothing at the school made sense. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, we taught the classes were a month long. Um, so oh. I was supposed to teach English composition in a month to, uh, to basically anyone that, was willing to come to the school. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. So you had people that you know, just huge range um, of, of knowledge, writing ability, yeah. all, all of those things. Um, so it was, it was very, it was very challenging. Yeah. I wrote an essay about it after mm. I left. Um, so it's, it was, um, 
Yeah. And I won't say the name because they did, they, 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 yeah, they get real upset. They, they, they were trying to figure out if they could sue me after I wrote the article. But, oh, really? Um, but I, don't wow. mention, I don't ever mention the name of the school. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like, you know, for-profit yeah. school in a strip mall could be, like, anything. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like, yeah. I mean, it everything's a in a strip mall, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, but I was there for oh four. Uh, yeah, I was there for four years. Wow. Um, That's a long time to... And, and if classes there. are a month, how many classes do oh, you teach? Yeah. I don't even know. I know. I, That's yeah. crazy. How many students I taught there. Yeah. Um, enormous. And yeah, the, the only thing that was great uh, was that I, I did meet some uh, good friends. I'm one of kind of one of my closest friends that I still talk to multiple times a week. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I did meet a lot of a lot of a lot of people, um, and but yeah, it was it was a very hard time. Yeah, it was a very hard time in my life because I I kind of felt like oh I had done like all these things that you're kind of told to do, um, and I you know I'd gone directly into college and then I'd gone into a graduate program, <laughs> and then now I'm like okay. I have all this student loan debt. Um, I can't really hardly get a job. And yeah, so I kind of got financially stuck in mm-hmm. that sort of job. Like I, I needed sure. I needed that job, which is the only reason I, I made it um, four years there. Um, that probably just, paid yeah. pretty well. I mean, I've, I've worked for some private yeah, education companies. It wasn't... they in traditional university fashion they did they did they did hold on to this um it is yeah um as english professors we were paid like the worst um (laughs) so but um and we also had to do like the most work and we were also the only people at the school that had like had to have like actual degrees we were also like Mm -hmm. keeping them like afloat accreditation wise so yeah uh, there was a and you have to like read stuff like you can't just like give online quizzes or whatever like yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean it was it was an acceptable yeah it was an acceptable salary at least Mm -hmm. that i was like i can i can do that and Mm -hmm. um and it allowed me to save some money that got Mm -hmm. got me out of florida Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah (laughs) Nice. Wow. Yeah. It makes me think my first gig after undergrad was a summer, uh, like reading program and the range of kids was vast. You know, you had kids whose parents could barely afford the like whatever $300 or whatever it was for like a five week course. And we're really hoping their kids would push through it and, um, then parents who were just like could afford to throw the money at it, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, I don't know, yeah. I just want them out of the house or whatever." <laughs> you know, and <laughs> the kids just have such a range of learning, and by the end, it's just like one of three numbers. Like your kid's a two. Good luck in third grade. Yeah. Like, you wow. know, and yeah. the sort of detachment that has to come with that. I mean, mm-hmm. did you have some of those same feelings of just like the course is over and you're like, I don't know, like good luck out there, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, well, and there was just enormous, like a lot of for-profit schools, there's an enormous pressure, um, to pass, to just pass everyone, you know? So, 
Um, so you, you were, con- we were constantly being told to change the curriculum. Uh, I mean the, the class by the, but I mean, the class was probably at about an seventh or eighth grade level. I mean, the, the work we oh, were wow. asking people to do by the end, I mean, you know, like it was, they were barely writing. Like we wow. were told, like when they were like, well, why are you having them write this much? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a <laughs> composition class. I, it's a writing, yes. I mean, it's a yeah. class. I, yeah. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so there was, yeah. And there was just no entrance exams of any kind. And we also didn't really have, um, yeah, we didn't ha- have any like remedial courses or anything. Mm. Um, and, and they would also, you know, the school would also really kind of try to get people. Um, yeah, we sometimes had people with like ESL issue and we didn't have any, like we didn't have like an ESL program. We didn't mm-hmm. have, um, you know, like there, there was just a, yeah, there was a lot. And then, yeah. And then you just have a lot of pressure to, to pass, pass people. Um, and if you didn't oftentimes, someone above you would just change the grade or whatever, you know, like, so it it was, yeah. So there was, yeah, there was a lot. Yeah. There there was a lot of issues. Um, Yeah. And you, and you feel bad. I mean, you feel like you're part Mm -hmm. of this obviously huge issue in education (laughs) Um, and this, and this huge sort of issue of, of taking advantage of, of a lot of people Um, for profit schools also go after, um, you know, veterans really heavily, um, because it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's money, direct money that, they, mm-hmm. you know, they can use the, the GI bill and all these yeah. things. And so, so like most recruiters at for-profit schools get like bonuses, big bonuses for how many veterans they can, um, sign up. Um, mm-hmm. and well. so, yeah, there, there was a lot, there's a lot of issues, within it and yeah and then you know the school was extremely expensive and people were taking out enormous amounts of money um and loans and yeah for degrees that weren't actually recognized in most states (laughs) yeah Yeah, so it's you know and before (sighs) i left they actually had started their own mfa program as well um (laughs) and yeah, it wouldn't let any of us who actually had MFAs teach in it, which was very strange. And the person who was oh. running it didn't even have an MFA. <laughs> it was goodness. it was a very strange wow. it was a very strange world. Um, yeah, so it, it was it was it was a very very you know it was it was an eye opening sort of experience because I had not been in that kind of education experience before, either as a student or or as a as a faculty member. So yeah, yeah, I learned, I learned a lot about, about what I don't want to do. (laughs) So, I mean, good for you for sticking it out. Like, you know, you gave it a fair shake as people would say (laughs) for sure. It's a long time, four and a half years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you, um, so you wrote an essay after, after that in which it is not named. (laughs) Is that essay published anywhere? Yes, it's um it's published at the Rumpus. Um, okay. Yeah, it's oh, still cool. up because I think yeah it was published many a, a lot of years ago, but it is still up. And and honestly, I got I got probably more comments and 
emails and things from that essay than almost anything that I've written <laughs> because uh-huh. so many people had had that experience um, uh-huh. teaching teaching at places like that um, or sometimes people who had gone to them and and I think felt just sort of re- relieved or recognized that that someone was recognizing that yeah like this mm. was kind of a whole scam that mm-hmm. I was, I was mm-hmm. kind of in. Um, so yeah, I, it, it, yeah, definitely was a, a piece that a lot of people responded. Yeah. Mm. Responded to Yeah. Because I think it just speaks to an experience in, in the, and not even directly at that school, just at all these different places that, that, you know, do this. Um, they all use very similar tactics. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was an SAT tutor for a while and just that whole industry was so bizarre to me that you're, you know, you take the test multiple times. It's like hundreds of dollars a pop and, you know, the tutoring and the books. Um, and then when I was applying to PhD programs, the GRE, like that yeah. I was seeing it from the yeah. other side, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, I took it once and did okay. Uh, and my boss at the tutoring company was like well you should take it again you know that's what we always tell our clients like take it multiple times and i was like i can't afford to do that i'm not like (laughs) yeah that's not me you know yeah those tests are yeah that's a whole nother sort of (laughs) scam as well (laughs) just people and that and so many schools don't even like they require them and then they're like oh we don't but we don't really pay attention to them (laughs) okay well then yeah. yeah. What was the point? <laughs> why are you? What was that whole year you, of my life? Yeah. Like I've paid all this money uh, to to take these. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, it, that's a frustrating aspect too. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So during this whole time, I mean, you wrote this essay um, on the for profit school, but were you able to to like write and submit poetry as well? Yeah, I did. I mean, I wrote, yeah, I wrote my first book um, during those four years at that that school. So yeah, in my, yeah, my, and my first book came out um, about six months before I left the Mm. school. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I did. Yeah. I mean, I left my MFA obviously with a thesis, Mm. but it was, it, it, yeah, it wasn't, I think my first book maybe has like three or four poems that maybe I wrote during my MFA. The rest mm-hmm. are, were mm-hmm. things I wrote post, um, post that experience. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was at least able to focus on that. I mean, I think in many ways, that's sort of what kept me going, you know, was sort of focusing on on my creative work and, you know, doing something that was outside of, yeah, outside of this kind of job I had to do, um, that kind of, that, yeah, I think that kept me at least somewhat, you know, going. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask about your current work. Um, we, you and I talked a little bit before uh, about your current project that's examining um, slasher films from the 70s and 80s through a queer lens, which just sounds fascinating and still timely. You know, I think slashers are having sort of a resurgence. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and can you uh, talk more about that project and what inspired it and 
maybe how it's going and um, all that good stuff. Yes, <laughs> Very open to the question. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I've, I kind of came to horror appreciation for horror, I think, at, at late, later in in life. Um, I didn't really watch a, like a lot of horror movies as a kid or teenager. My my parents weren't really into that and w- wouldn't have really let me watch a lot of those things as a young, young person <laughs> anyway. And, you know, as a teenager, I, I, you know, I saw, you know, I kind of grew up in the kind of, you know, kind of the return of the slide, you know, the scream kind of sure. era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I, I saw all of those that were kind of geared towards you know, my age group at that time. Um, So I saw those, um, but it was really kind of later, really in the last five or so years that I sort Mm -hmm. of got more and more interested in kind of looking at going and kind of watching these, these movies that I hadn't ever seen um, that I, you know, knew about and, and the more I watched them, the more I was sort of just sort of fascinated by, uh, yeah, by, I'm just sort of fascinated by by the the structure of the of the film sometimes, and and yeah, the sort of drive that people have to watch these movies, and, and sort of what they say about sort of culture, mm-hmm. and and then sort of exploring how you know, the queer community does have a very kind of deep love and connection of, of horror in lots of different ways and sort of seeing the, and, and sometimes seeing yourself in different aspects um, because it's also really interesting because a lot of these films uh, can be very homophobic, uh, transphobic, mm-hmm. um, sure. racist, misogynistic, you know, they're all basically yes. everything that's, and, and sort of how to like sort of, how people still see this odd connection and and there's a lot of queer people that also see themselves more in the like villains of these films as well mm. um mm. as sort of as as a way of how you are um how you're othered um mm. as a person and and this sort of um retaliation against sort of you know a lot of the a lot of the films are very focused on heterosexual uh, teenagers and uh, and and sex and all of these different things. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of got really interested in exploring that more and more and and yeah. So I think just after I I was mostly just doing it for fun, you know, watching these movies. And then about a year ago, I sort of decided to focus in. So I've been, yeah, I've been working on a project that is a poetry collection, but sort of looks at it. It plays a lot with gender. Um, it's kind of taking the kind of, I, I've also looked at some of the scholarship, you know, there's kind of a famous um, essay that, you know, the kind of coined the term final girl and sort of that. And mm. that essay is, is I, I find kind of really problematic in lots mm. of ways. I mean, it's very much scholarship of, of the nineties. It basically mm. ignores a queer people altogether. Um, and Carol sort Clover, of, that yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of taking that concept, this idea of sort of, um, it, it's also not 100% accurate, like this this concept 
that she uses that people really latched onto this final girl concept. It, it fits lots of films, but it doesn't fit uh, all films and lots mm-hmm. of films have mm-hmm. are, are done very differently. Um, and it sort of ignores of uh, films that are centered more on uh, male characters as well. And so it sort of explores a lot of those things. I've also done some like erasure poems using the, uh, VHS like descriptions of these movies, like the backs of VHS. So, um, I'm also really, I was really interested when I started reading the, like these, the, the, the film descriptions, like the language that's used. Um, oftentimes they also, a lot of them also make commentaries about America, um, Mm. uh, on the, they use like the word America in some sort of way. So, I've kind of played with that and these kind of erasure poems um, mm. as well. So, yeah, so it's, it's just been sort of a fun, strange project. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of my work, uh, pre- I mean, I, I'm very interested in, in exploration of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so it's very much in line with, with things that I'm interested in exploring. Um, but this is, a, but at the same time, kind of a different, a different approach and kind of using some different structure and form than, than I have in some of my other works. Cool. Yeah. Your work like seems to draw a lot on like history and pop culture, like history of the unmarried, like is the name of one of your collections. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like, and, um, not everything thrown starts a revolution also has like a, historical background or like like thread Mm -hmm. um so how do you like how do you how do you get inspired by history how do you incorporate history into your poems do you do like super deep research before you like release a collection how does that work for you great yes i so yeah i'm i am always i am really interested in sort of a combination of yeah, of like pop culture, media, history, and and blending that with my personal experience. So yeah, really all of my books do do that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, a lot of times there is a lot of research that goes into yeah into the into the work and mm-hmm. really thinking about yeah thinking about things that usually it's just something that really inspires me. And then I just kind of go into kind of a deep dive <laughs> yeah, into, into it. That. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's just things that I've, I've come across or I'm reading and then I'm like, Oh, th- this is a really interesting idea to sort of explore and how to sort of combine these things together. And yeah, it's kind of gone in all different, all different directions for me. So yeah, not everything thrown starts a revolution. My last book, yeah, it has sort of a historical concept behind it of, of sort of, I I just had heard, I think it was on This American Life is what I had heard this Mm -hmm. person talking about this phenomenon that's called suicide by uh, proxy. And it was sort of this mm. phenomenon that's ha- that happened in multiple different places mm. um, at the same time. And where people, and this was happening in like the 1700s. Hmm. And so a lot of times in, in various parts of Europe and 
these small places where like where religion was very the idea of suicide was very against religion so right. people would um would basically murder someone to then and then confess so then they would be executed as this way to commit suicide um, and they usually would kill and they would usually kill children because a lot of um thought in in certain aspects of christianity is that you know children were innocent and were were pure so if you kill you know like they would they would go to heaven and then you would they would immediately confess and then they would be executed and there's hmm. really fascinating like records of this but hardly anyone's really written about it there's like one article about it. this wow. this professor That's that was crazy. on this american life then i read this article so i just found this like idea so strange and yeah and just something to sort of explore so so that book the first half of it is a a fictionalized story of someone doing that it told through poems so okay. it's not a direct historical person um but it's sort of a creation of a historical person um mm -hmm. in do you know following this sort of storyline um that i wow. had had explored so yeah so sometimes it's something just this really odd like that um that just i i you know i write i write a lot of ideas down as probably most of us do that just to kind of return to at different times mm -hmm. um and that was really hard. It was actually really hard to write like that. I, that part of the book I had spent, I tried to write and it took a long, yeah, it took a long time. I started working on it many, quite a few, many years before the book came, came out. Um, and wow. I kind of had to put it away for, I think I, I, I left it and then I, I wrote my second book and then I came back to, sure. that, to, to that, um, idea, but I'm also very interested in, uh, in writing poetry collections that are very interconnected. So that's also something that I'm always kind of looking at things as a project and mm -hmm. as a, a full kind of collection, mm -hmm. usually from a very early stage. Um, and really working on it as one project and mm -hmm. not sort of later on saying, oh, well, I have, oh, I have, you know, yeah. 40 poems here. Let's see if I can kind of put these together and into a collection. Um, I'm always usually thinking of it as a collection mm. at a very early stage. Mm. I love that. that. That's similar to um, Dennis Rush, who we interviewed, uh, who is uh, in Sam's MFA cohort uh, at Goddard, who's hmm. also a poet, and he also he he thinks his work works better in collections um, and not singly, like not as mm, much singly. Yeah. And I'm what I didn't say during the podcast that I was like, ah, that was the metaphor. <laughs> that was, was like, you know, like oh, you're an album artist, not a not a singles like uh, top no, top forty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I and I love like I I love reading poetry collections like that have. Uh, like transformations like or whatever you know like mm -hmm. that have mm -hmm. some sort of like through through line like it it's very jarring to me sometimes like reading a book that like our like a poetry collection that 
that was thought of after the fact. <laughs> like, and then yeah. it's like, wait, these poems don't go together. Like, that's weird. <laughs> you know, it's like, because you just have to like orient yourself like to each poem. Yeah. And so if you just have this like one, yeah, through line, then you can sort of, yeah, get through <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I was just talking to a guy who's writing his first book of poetry and he, saying, yeah, I want there to be a storyline through the entire book. And I was like, that's great. And he was like, but I want it to feel personal. You know, I like poetry is more personal than stories. Uh, Not that your stories aren't personal. And I was like, good save. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, because I think that, um, you know, all I think the only difference between effective and ineffective writing is that there is some personal element in there that makes it uh, that imbues it with emotion, whether it's a mm. poem or a painting or a, um, you know, just a short story about a monster in the woods, you know, mm. if there's some personal <laughs> element in there. Um, so I'm wondering how those things pop up for you. If you set out, you know, you have this interesting piece of history and it mm. speaks to you and you're like, okay, I'm going to tell that story through poems. Um, how do sort of personal things or things or people from your life or places even, how do those sort of bubble into that? Cause I'm sure they must. Right. <laughs> um, oh, sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, actually, I think that's what took me with that particular book. I think that's the piece that took me a really long time to sort of figure out <laughs> the connection. <laughs> so, so that book is split in half. So that first half is that. And then the second half is poem set in modern day that are more that are more personal and i sort of saw this sort but i sort of found this idea of of a lot of times i kind of look at figures and think of how i how i see aspects of myself in them so i think Mm -hmm. there's sort of that connection um and then the book as a whole sort of explores the criminal justice system in various mm. ways as well because a lot of the aspect of of people doing this suicide pride proxy one of the big reasons that people were drawn to it partly was you know still a time that you know executions were really uh a big thing um they mm. were you know they were a public event they were something to go to they served also sort of like uh, uh people some people thought they were serving as like a deterrent for doing things but they also were very much like an entertainment um right. mm-hmm. you know people came people sold you know things uh, you know related to the person you know kind of this wow. whole concept yeah so that kind of runs through that and then the more contemporary ones also look at elements of the criminal justice system in contemporary times. So, yeah, so I think there's just sort of that blending. I, I, yeah, I do always think it's really interesting to, I I very much intentionally do it with a personal lens um, of looking at all of those aspects and kind of tying these things together that I see connections to, um, which I think is also partly, that's partly the personal touch that you're bringing all these pieces together in this collection and, you're kind of threading that together, um, which, yeah, I think it has that personal element to it. And again, I've done that with a lot of, a lot of the work that I'm interested in. And that one's probably the most like 
removed from me of like kind of mm. digging that usually I'm kind of exploring a little bit more recent history mm-hmm. or kind of 20th century history or things like that. Um, so that was like a bigger, a, a bigger or a deeper dive <laughs> um, right. uh, than I've done in the, in the past. Mm. That's so interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I was curious um, with Goddard first, how you got there, but also like you and <laughs> Sam met because Sam, I think, was speaking at the MFA residency on yes. uh, something on horror, and <laughs> it was ghosts. And uh, oh, it was ghosts. Yeah. yeah Stephen said in his yes, email, that was our um, theme, "Yeah, yeah." He was like, "Do you have ten minutes that you can say about ghosts?" And I was like, "Boy, I'll try." You know? <laughs> you, only ten minutes. So <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, what was, was that? What was that about? Why ghosts? What was the theme at Goddard? Tell tell me the story around that, Stephen. Yeah, so the um, yeah our resident our Washington residency over the summer was uh, yeah the theme was ghosts. Um, what haunts your work? So we were mm. kind of thinking about about it sort of in all different ways. Um, thinking about in both good ways and bad ways. Um, so, you know, ghosts, not necessarily all, all, all bad. <laughs> so we kind of things that, that lurk in the background of your work. Mm. Um, sometimes things that maybe you have to face in your work, mm. um, maybe things that you're avoiding in your work. So there was a lot of ways in which we were looking at it. Mm-hmm. I was also looking at it as sort of as, um, also like your, your sort of literary ghosts, um, like people who are kind of in your space, um, in your head when you're writing, um, in, in inspiring ways, um, and maybe, but maybe sometimes not. Um, so all of those kinds of aspects of it, I actually had my advising group in the last residency, I had them all do, um, creative family trees. Um, so mm-hmm. they were really looking at like all their inspirations and, and I didn't, you know, I made, left it very open. I was like, you know, this doesn't, you don't have to just like list like famous writers. Like I want you to think about all the different people. So sometimes people put more, you know, personal connections, whether it was family members or, or, you know, teachers that they had had or things like that, so cool. um, as well as, uh, yeah, as well as as writers or or other people, like I, you know, I said, you it doesn't have to just be literature people that can be inspiring to you as um, as people. So yeah, so we kind of thought about it in a lot of a lot of different different ways, and yeah, it was it was a successful sort of sort of theme, and then yeah, and then uh, and then Sam was our was our alum <laughs> guest <laughs> for the for the residency, oh and it was a good it was a good fit. It was a good fit for totally. for the theme. No, I was so excited to be asked. I mean, um, first of all, a dream come true to come back and speak at Goddard, and I had a lot of cool sort of. Uh, like kismet Goddard things happening around that time because I had just sold a story about ghosts to mm. 34 Orchard, which is a magazine run by another alum. So <laughs> I got to read that and talk about nice. some of the things that haunted that work. And mm. um, that was a, an especially interesting conversation to have with some of the current students because 
um, a couple of them asked questions and sort of said, oh, this is what I heard in that story that were unintentional. And I think that's sort of an interesting thing to consider, too, is the ghosts that haunt your work so like thoroughly so like under the floorboards that mm-hmm. you don't even realize yeah. they're there you mm-hmm. know um and i can imagine like for myself that creative family tree being like you know everything from hp lovecraft mm-hmm. to like guys that i knew in eighth grade <laughs> you know right. as far as like <laughs> things that feed into yeah. it and, and haunt it you know so that's yeah. um really fascinating and it was such a good discussion so i was just excited to be a part of it and to help facilitate it um That's so and cool. and now we've traded reading each other's bios in the same summer which is um so yeah that that um advising group experience sounds uh obviously very different from your for-profit uh <laughs> Teaching. Yeah. <laughs> how did you find your way to Goddard? How long have you been there, and how how did you find your way there? Um, this is uh, I am into my third semester at Goddard, so yeah, okay. so it hasn't been so just a bit over a year mm-hmm. um, at, at Goddard, and yes. yeah, I actually, you know, I I found my way here unexpectedly um because i wasn't i wasn't looking for a job um i had a job and i was actually in the middle of of moving apartments i was moving into this apartment um and so i was i was busy i had lots going on (laughs) um i had a full-time job and my uh, yeah someone that i had worked with before um, had recently, uh, was recently the kind of interim director of the program. Mm. And they were, they reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in interviewing that they needed some, they needed some, some people. And this was last summer at the start. Um, and so I was like, Oh, well, this is a great opportunity. I, you know, I was aware of Goddard. I've, I've known people that have gone gone to Goddard. I've known a few people that have taught at Goddard over the years. And, you know, it's very aware of of their program. And so it's like, oh, this would be a great opportunity. And it was more as a I mean, we uh, Goddard calls it affiliated, but basically adjunct um opportunity. And I was like, oh well this is yeah, this is great. So I was like, I could I could do this. And so I interviewed and, and got the job and I taught uh, taught that first semester and and I wasn't really aware of because I, you know obviously I, I wouldn't have been aware um, I wasn't really aware of of sort of the massive transitional period that Goddard was in as I jumped sure. in <laughs> and that they were in sort of you know this massive contract renegotiation for the faculty and and all of these things so I had no thought or idea that I would have an opportunity to sort of join in a, in a different way. Um, but yeah, then, then because of the contract renegotiation and the roles that sort of came available, there was a full, you know, there was a full-time position that was open. And so I, so I was able to take that position and so I started full time at Goddard in January, oh, and cool. 
And cool. so, yeah, so it was, it was sort of, yeah, it was sort of an unexpected, it wasn't something that I was in the moment looking, <laughs> looking for, yeah. um, and sort of ha- had to sort of shift, shift things around for me. I had been, yeah, I had actually been working outside of academics for a little bit. And I had been, I actually was working at Mount Sinai Hospital running an HIV outreach program. Whoa, and, cool. and I had done that for, I'd done that for six years. I'd been at Mount Sinai for six years. Um, and during that time, I had adjunct alongside that job at some different schools. I taught at College of Mount St. Vincent in the Bronx for uh, three years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I taught, I had been teaching on and off, but I had, I had taken a little break for about two years. I hadn't been teaching um, and I had just mm. been doing my full-time job at Mount Sinai. Um, mm. And yeah, so it, it just sort of happened. And then I, and then, so in a very short time, I, I went from sort of, an adjunct here to part of the core faculty and 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 uh, and I'm currently the lead we've shifted to this lead instead of director position and I'm currently the lead faculty for the program and so it's cool. been a lot of shifting yeah. in a very short <laughs> amount of time um but I was really, you know, right from that first semester, I was just really, I was amazed that 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 semester we did residency strictly on Zoom um, because it was last summer. And I was just amazed immediately just with the community um, and how how much community there there was in such especially just being stri- even just strictly in a virtual mm-hmm. space and how welcoming the students were to me right right away and i was so impressed with the students i worked with that first semester and just the experience and how supportive which is, you know, something I stress to people all the time. And and now I, I do a lot of info sessions for prospective students and all these things. Okay. It's just really stress that um, the community aspect and the supportive nature of Goddard, that is, I would say, truly the most unique aspect of the program, because you just don't see that in a lot of creative communities, whether they're academic communities or their other creative communities there's usually a a lot of edges of competition of of you know all these other things that come into play in in creative spaces Mm -hmm. and at goddard i i just really haven't seen that i've seen such so much kind of support for each other and and so much of that comes from comes from the students and and that's you know made me want to be part part of of the community in a in a bigger way and that's really what kind of led me to quitting my other job and and and, and doing and, and and doing this um and it's it's been yeah it's been a very rewarding experience in that way mm, that's awesome yeah what has been a favorite part of teaching at Goddard so far? I mean, you just said so many great things, um, but what's really 
I was going to say, like, really stoked your soul. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll go with it. Uh, you know, I mean, I think for me personally, I think something that's been really powerful for me has been I have never been in a situation where I've been able to uh, teach and mentor so many other queer writers. Mm -hmm. Um, We we have a a really enormous group of of queer people at Goddard right now. Um, And so many of them are really excited to to work with me and to, to work with someone that that you know talk you know talks about that aspect and writes about those aspects and being able to really have uh, and provide that sort of mentorship that I didn't necessarily feel I got as right. as a student um and to be able to be uh, on the other side of that and to be able to have those conversations with students and I you know I think that's so important for all different groups of people that can feel very marginalized mm-hmm. by, by well, by the world or but by the literary world sure. in particular. Um, I think to be able to sit with someone that that knows that experience specifically and how to sort of how to manage that and and the the questions and things that are specific to how how you want to be a queer writer in the world and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, like there, there's lots of things, and things have have definitely changed and improved in in some ways um, since I started writing and publishing and things like that. But there's still, you know, there's still very much a lot of issues around all of those things and what is considered sort of acceptable or what people what people sort of praise. It also affects people's jobs. I mean, I, I had a lot of issues sometimes getting a lot of full-time teaching jobs I, a lot because I think because of how outwardly queer my mm. work is, I can't really oh. hide that on a resume because of titles of, of things, <laughs> of my poems and of yeah. my books and <laughs> things, you know, it's really hard people. Um, you know, we're still in a space that's so many, uh, so many academic spaces want to sort of be appear progressive or appear to be open to lots of people, but they oftentimes want those people to be, to still fit certain boxes. So, Mm. you know, be queer, but not too queer, you know, be, be Mm. this, but not too this, you know? And, and so I, I think that the nature of the program at Goddard really allows for such a different experience for students and, and being able to sort of sit down with people. And, you know, I love creating sort of the, the reading list with each student and, and, and the Mm. opportunity to be able to introduce uh, some, many of these students to lots of writers that they aren't aware of and that they've never been asked to read or have never, uh, you know, mm-hmm. didn't know were were out there mm-hmm. um, because they're not texts that people immediately, you know, are going to probably experience in an undergrad program or or other things like that. And I think that that aspect of the program is is great, and it's such a different thing than sitting down and planning a course that's for. 25 students and you have to pick, Oh, well, here's like the five books we're going to read or whatever that everyone has to read. 
that's really hard to do. It's really hard to create syllabus where you're really trying to be conscious of, you know, having a diverse reading list and and all of those mm-hmm. things and being able to do that so individually with each student is is really is really great. So that that's really just been a, a huge aspect for me of just loving the opportunity to to do that and to work to work with students um, and and provide that. I mean, obviously, I work with with lots of students, but 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 that aspect of of having just that moment with with some of the the queer students and mm-hmm. and and being able to support the work that they're doing. That's yeah, because awesome. those are two very different kinds of um, having a diverse array of texts. You know, creating a curriculum for a class of many students and trying to get a little bit of everything yeah. versus like, oh, you're writing queer sci-fi. Here's a diversity mm-hmm. of queer <laughs> sci-fi authors. Like, you can get yeah. really specific yeah. in the ways in which you're, you know, in- including voices, which is so great. I mean, yeah, I will never forget the books that I discovered during my G one. I was just mm-hmm. like, oh my god, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Well, um, do you do you uh, teach in multiple genres? Because your work spans multiple genres. Yes. Um, so yeah, I do. I really teach a wide, <laughs> wide range. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, 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 I obviously work with lots of poets uh, mm-hmm. because that is kind of what I'm most known for. And, um, but yeah, I do. I do work with uh, a kind of memoir, creative nonfiction, mm-hmm. sort of hybrid a work. Um, and I've done, yeah, and I, I've done some fiction. I don't write as much fiction anymore as I, mm-hmm. as I used to, but, um, but yeah, I do work with some fiction students and then, um, yeah. And then in the last about four or five years, I've been uh, doing, exploring a lot more playwriting yeah. and, um, myself and doing a lot more playwriting and working in that, in that genre, which is, you know, newer for me. Um, and so, yeah, I sometimes work with a couple playwrights. We've had, we've had a lot of playwrights uh, really? over the last uh, cool. couple of semesters. Yeah. Cool. I think what happened is, a uh, is we had, I think the pandemic sort of led to it. Um, we had, mm-hmm. a, I, we have a lot of students that were um, actually working in theaters or were actors mm-hmm. or things like that and had always been interested in pursuing mm-hmm. an MFA mm-hmm. or play, you know, playwriting. And when the pandemic hit and, you know, theater spaces obviously greatly Closed. affected, yeah. <laughs> um, I, we, I, we got sort of a surge of, of playwrights. Um, so a lot of them are about our, our graduate, a lot of them graduated this yeah. This summer, um, and and I th- and quite a few of them will be graduating at the end of at the end of this semester as well. That's a, that's so interesting because I also like I I have loved plays um, for many many years and never re- like wrote in that genre uh, like years and years ago like as a child, but um, mm. and but hadn't as an adult and I also started writing plays during the pandemic <laughs> and I yeah maybe it is it was like this hunger for that space like missing <laughs> yeah, it you right. know like so you have to like fill in that yeah. vacuum <laughs> like, yeah. but yeah that's cool that's was that's that cool. what it was for you or why did you make the shift to playwriting and yeah. how has that been no, different from poetry? I st- yeah I did it really about two years before the pandemic mm-hmm. um and yeah, I mean, I've always loved theater. I, I mean, theater's always been a huge, a huge 
interest um, for me. And and obviously, living in New York, I, I try to go see as much theater as I can. And mm-hmm. um, and I would, you know, I've re- I, 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 I'll read a lot of plays as well. A lot of times when I see a play, I oftentimes like to get the text yeah, afterwards, totally. especially oh, if it's cool. a really interesting, you know, especially if it's a really interesting play, like where I'm like, yeah. I really wonder what this looks like, like on the, on the page or how much of this was like mm. in the text, how much of this is sort mm. of the interpretation or the sure. director and the actors and things like that. So, yeah. So I was just really interested in, in doing that. And I think there's a real, I think there's a real connection between sort of poetry and playwright. I mean, obviously there's there, historically, there's a lot of overlap of, of mm-hmm. poetry Mm-hmm. plays playwriting so a lot of poets i think naturally kind of can fit into into plays uh, and playwriting so yeah i just really i i decided to kind of give it a go and then i applied and got um into a workshop um at the new group um which is a, a mm-hmm. kind of a kind of big theater company mm-hmm. um in in New York. Um, so I did a workshop through them. Um, so that was a really a fun, it was the first time I'd really been in a workshop setting since my, uh, MFA. I think. So, yeah. um, I don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of workshops. I, I was really workshopped out after, after my MFA. So, um, <laughs> so I, it was the first Fair. time I was in that space, uh, again. And so that was really a positive experience. And so I worked, I wrote a play through kind of through that, workshop mm-hmm. and uh, yeah and then i've just kind of continued onward um with that and it's yeah it's it's been a it's been really it's it's very different it's kind of a whole different realm of sort of my brain um very different than how i approach poetry so it's been it's been interesting for sure mm. oh, cool was men like us uh produced or read as part of pride plays um, no, it was, it was sort of, it was, um, uh, it, it, that year it would, they kind of did again, everything sort of virtual. Um, mm-hmm. so they kind of, they picked a lot of plays just to have like these small excerpts that were filmed that they, that you oh. just sort of filmed yourself and they were kind of, they were like put out, um, sort of on, uh, social media. And I think, I think Playbill put up an article with them in it as well. Um, That's cool. yeah, yeah. So it was just sort of like a, a really short sort of excerpt from those yeah i haven't I, i've been working sort of towards i haven't i i have a, this other play that's been getting some more traction that i've hmm. i've been getting close to getting it somewhere but it's yeah it's I'm, i it's a whole different process of submitting <laughs> than i'm used to um in terms of the uh, kind of like submitting like uh you know, fiction or poetry and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so I've been, yeah, it's been sort of a new experience for me, but yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting though. I, I've, I've, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed learning sort of a whole new world of, of submission process and all mm-hmm. of that. It's yeah, it's, it's something, something new to dive into. Are you submitting yeah, awesome. to like theaters, like for them to produce it or? Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's some different like festivals, things okay. like that. There was like a big one in in uh, that I had submitted to that I kind of made to the final round of mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there you kind of can submit to those those things. 
it, yeah, it's all different. It's, it is very yeah. different because the submissions can vary a lot. Sometimes they are just wanting to play. Sometimes it's like, oh, well, you need to have like a cast and everyone yeah. like. Yeah, all ready <laughs> like, to go. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. And I'm like, well, I just kind of like wrote the play. I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm I, you know, I'm not, I know if I'm ready to fully like jump in and, and like cast and direct it yet. But right. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> maybe someday. Cool. But I, um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been, in, yeah, it's, it is a whole different world uh, than a lot of like book submissions or those things mm. where people are, because it involves so many other people, which yeah. I think is a really interesting yeah. aspect uh, of it. Yeah. It's not someone just saying, oh, this is great. We're going to print this. It's right. someone saying, oh, we're going to like devote all this time to it and all these people. <laughs> and <all> these. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a whole different, a whole different world in that way. Nice. Uh, that's awesome. That's well, awesome. if it if it gets produced, you have to let us know and yeah, we'll, please do. We'll yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> announcement for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been. I mean, this really blew by. I can't believe it's already been uh, like eighty minutes. We've been chatting, <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, thank you so much for talking to us. I have had so much fun chatting with you and and hearing more about your work and your life. Um, and I'm sad that we have to sort of wrap it up now, but um, <laughs> I think we're we're starting to try closing with like more fun questions. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh sure. <laughs> so uh, um, I have one last uh, sort of fun question for you. Uh, you currently have two schnauzers. Have you always been a dog person, or uh, are you like primarily a cat or dog person? And this is just currently you have two dogs. Um, <laughs> like where do you lie on the cat person, dog person spectrum? <laughs> I, yes, I have, I have always been a dog person. I'm, I'm not anti cat, but I, um, I have always, I've I always had dogs. I always had dogs growing up and yeah. So I, yeah, I've always been a big dog person. My, my one, dog is really the my first dog that i had on my own um he actually just turned 16 um i actually got him yeah i actually got him in uh when i lived in tallahassee when i was training my my program um and uh so yeah he just turned 16 and so uh yes so i have i've had him for a very long time he's made it through a lot of a lot of things, a lot mm-hmm. of moves. <laughs> Good for him. Amazing. And, um, and then our, our other one is uh, we rescued about eight years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And she is a, she only has three legs. She's a tripod. Um, and she's, uh, she has a lot of personality. She likes to bark at, bark at people. Um, and nice. other dogs. Same. My other one is completely silent. So, um, so it's, it's a, so it's a combination. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. My dog also turned 16 this year and is yeah, very old, very blind and deaf. Um, so yeah, mine also cannot hear, which is kind of, kind of, a, a kind of been nice. I think it's reduced his anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, really. He's our dog so, shadow has been very chill. Yeah. He, you know, he used to be really, especially with like fire, like coming just out of the summer, like, fireworks mm, and sure. all those things um he used to just be like really terrified even inside 
Um, and now he just like can't hear them, so he's just you know he's he's great. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Shadow will just stand in the middle of the hallway and sort of wait until someone walks right in front of him so that he can like see and hear them a little Aww. bit. And he's like, oh, hey, you have to like <laughs> yeah sort of drop yeah. the leash in front of him, and he's like, oh yeah, I'll go for it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. What yeah. kind of dog is Shadow? World, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's a bit of a mutt. He's a Bichon mixed with a King Charles Cavalier mixed with a little bit of Cocker Spaniel. Yeah, he's super floofy. He's a good boy. That's awesome. Anyway. Yeah, I don't have a dog, but, um, I, I am a dog person, but, uh, we just, I'm in a walk up apartment. So like, and I've been here for 15 years and, uh, my husband and I dog sat about a year, well, like a year and a half ago, uh, like last May. Um, and the, the dog was awesome. He was so cute and like, but Aww. just like super energetic. And um, mm. he, we had to hide his toys because he would just like play for forever. <laughs> his, his mom like wrote us a note, hide his toys, put them up high or else he'll play forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, walking him like three times a day, I was like, I'm oh. tired. <laughs> like, this is a yeah. Lot. So, so yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, super sweet. And you know, if I, if I had an elevator building or, was just on the ground floor then we would probably have a dog by now yeah different story yeah 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 it's a lot i I lived on the first floor for like eight and a half years and so it was great and then um and then i moved here to the 24th floor Mm -hmm. so just that huge huge shift (laughs) and so now just dealing with like yeah and my dogs weren't used to like ever being in an elevator and Mm. all of those things so it was it was a lot of adjusting um, and my older dog was not used to taking this long to get out of the building. So there's, it's, a lot. it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, Do you take them on long walks on Sundays? And now, I mean, since they're both older, um, yeah. they just, they're pretty easy. Uh, yeah. and they're not as a breed, they're not overly like, yeah, they're yeah. If they were puppy, you know, younger, yeah. they would need more. But yeah, they're both in a state of their life that they're not they're not really into long long walks. So. Right, right. <laughs> so it can be Fair pretty enough. quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. This again, this was awesome. It was so great to. It was great for me to chat with you more because I I feel like we yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, had a very brief chat earlier this summer, but it was fun to expand on that. And, um, yes. Yeah. The residency is always so like, yeah, it's <laughs> quick moving from one event to, <laughs> to another. So yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's nice to be able to talk longer. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It was great meeting you, Steven. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. You as well. Awesome. And <laughs> let us know if your play gets produced for sure. And yes, if yes, and when, and when you publish the <laughs> horror poetry oh, yes, collection. It's getting close. It's getting close to, to being done. Um, and right. then I have to find someone 
as someone willing to publish it. Sure, <laughs> sure. Sometimes I, I do these things and then I'm like, these are like sometimes like weird, like niche things that I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, it's so it's sometimes, yeah, then you have to figure out how, where, where where's the right place? Yeah, mm-hmm. right place for it. But yeah, Whoa. I will definitely, I will definitely let you know. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And can people buy your other collections through your website? I, I think I have links to, yeah, I think on my website, you can click on the links um, that take you to the press's website. Okay. They're also available on pretty much any um, book seller space, Great. like big space as awesome. well. Great. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Good luck yeah, with your Goddard semester. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yeah. yes. I, yeah. <laughs> Students turn in their second packet tomorrow. So okay. I will be, I will be, I'll awesome. be deep in, It'll into be a it uh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> and I know how Goddard yes. students can be like over over submitting sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that is also uh, uh, something that i uh, unique about god sure. <laughs> usually it's like pushing students yep. to do what you there and they're like oh can i do more and i'm yeah. Yeah. It's like, you can. Am I going to yes. read it? No, <laughs> just kidding. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Scottish students are very, yeah, very, very devoted and pushing. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, do push the, sometimes the boundaries of the packet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a nice, it's a nice problem. That's a nice, nicer yeah. problem to have than having to try to like pull work out of, out of people. So, totally. yeah. yeah, that's So I appreciate enough. it. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Great. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Association. It is produced, hosted, and edited by Sam Rebeline and Amanda Faye Laxon. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. And please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.